there's a whole set of belief systems that you have that's implicit in it is what it is. Is it? What if it was something else? What if it was a revenue producing business from day one, even if it's a dollar a day? That's more than you had yesterday. And what if you weren't focused on building a unicorn, but focused on building a business that enabled you to see your son whenever you'd like? Now, what I'm suggesting is really hard. It's not the easy path, but it is a path. And what I think may have been going on and may be going on here is that the old structures that you survived are getting in the way of you seeing the possibilities that are actually in front of you. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Why does this keep happening to me? It's a question I hear all the time from many different clients. For some, it's about their constant struggle with overwhelm. For others, it's about the way the ones they love the most keep leaving. For some, it's more specific and how they are constantly and consistently let down by elders. Or for some, it's about the ever-present conflict with key people in their lives. But at the core, it's a question about a thing we don't want a thing we actively say we're working to prevent, it continues to show up time and time and time again in our lives. One of our mentors and teachers, Carl Buchheit, has a phrase that provides an answer here. The experiences we learn to survive become the experiences upon which our continued surviving will depend. That is to say, the very things we say we don't want now are the things that our subconscious may actively be working to recreate for us time and time and time again because it knows we can survive it. As our conscious says, I hate this, I don't want this. Our subconscious says, ah, I need this, I need more of it because I know we can handle it. I know we can survive it. And as the saying goes, the devil you know. So you may be sitting there asking yourself, do I have a version of this? I'll spare you the suspense, yes. You probably do. The question is where? What seems to be a recurring theme in your life despite your strong desire for it to be different? It might be in your relationships. It might be in your challenges at work. It might be in your friendships. Where might you be recreating the conditions of the past even though you actively say you don't want them? How might you break that pattern? Danny Feltzman is the CEO of Lena an app that allows parents to easily share valuable words and wisdom with their children. In this conversation with Jerry, Danny expresses the challenges and frustrations he's facing as a solo entrepreneur who is living apart from his son, who he loves so dearly. What they uncovered together is that perhaps the root of the challenges he faces may actually be his subconscious working to recreate conditions that it has survived. And in the awareness, he may find a new path forward. Enjoy. Ready for a more in-depth journey of radical self-inquiry? We've developed a new free five-day email course designed to explore and work with your shadow. Get started at reboot.io 
slash shadow. Hey, Danny, it's great to see you and really make this connection. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Sure, sure. Why don't you take a minute and just introduce yourself, tell us your name and, and position, and then we'll talk a little bit about what you're here for. Sure. So I'm um, Danny Feltzman. I'm the founder of Generation Transfer, and we're building a platform that's supposed to help parents share values, life lessons, meaningful life experiences with their kids. Uh, I've been working on the platform for about two to three years now. Came up with the idea when I became a dad. It's been amazing. It's been fun. It's been difficult. And um, when I came across your book, uh, it was you know probably one of the better, if not one of the best books that I've read about the uh, experience of being a founder and how experiences in your childhood and in your life can shape the way that you are. And just, you know, I found a lot of things resonated uh, with my own background, um, also being from New York. And, um, you know, I wanted to reach out and I'm very grateful that you responded. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad uh, that the book landed with you in that way. And, you know, I think probably every single episode in some form or another, I mentioned my kids. And I think you can relate to this. That's because being a parent is by far and away the greatest learning experience I've ever had and the most profoundly important experience I've ever had. Um, so I'll say back to you, I appreciate the work that you're doing. And um, I'm curious to hear more about that. So having read the book and listened to our podcast, you know that in some ways, perhaps not, you know, the conversations that we have are not necessarily the standard how-to conversations as a leader. So yeah. I'm imagining you've been forewarned and you've got your box of tissues nearby. <laughs> Listen, I, to be honest, I had tissues when I was reading the book, man. Yeah. Well, tell, tell me a little bit about that experience. What was that? What, what, what was happening and what struck you? You know, the one moment that stands out was, I think it was the end of chapter three, when you were talking to another founder who worked on a company where they were giving food I believe it was to employees. And she tied it back to, if I'm recalling it right, her experience mm -hmm. as a kid, feeling ashamed, feeling, well, maybe ashamed is not the right word, but being shy about eating in public. I mean, I'm probably getting the details a little bit wrong, but there was something tied to a feeling of fulfilling a lack that she had during childhood. And yeah. unknowingly, that's what she ended up doing, right? Right. Um, and when I read that, I'm just like, wow, that's what I'm doing because, you know, I didn't have the most ideal relationship with my parents. Um, parents were separated. They were there, but not really there sense of kind of not being seen. And then I'm like, wow, I'm trying to give my kid what I feel like I didn't get. And when I, that just, you know, that just had me, uh, <laughs> sitting on a plane. Get. Yeah. Flying from Europe to New York, just like trying to hold back the tears in front of people. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, you know. yeah, you're referring to Tracy Lawrence's story. And uh, we just reran her, the podcast episode in which I spoke with her about her experience. And so, you know, it sounds like having launched Generation Transfer shortly after your son was born, there was one level of conscious awareness that was going on for you, which was this, there is something I want to do for my son 
But it sounds like part of the experience is the realization that that um, wish actually goes both ways. Meaning it is rooted in you being a son as much as it's rooted in you being a father. Of course. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, because, you know, you take your own experiences and you take kind of, you know, the lessons that I took from being a kid and kind of seeing the situation that I went through. And yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's also, you know, part of the experience was realizing that I'm not only just making an app for myself, right? Um, I'm also making an app for other parents, other sons, other daughters, mothers, fathers, and grandparents. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to, um, not an easy thing to make because we're asking people to uh, look inside. We're asking them introspective questions um, about who they are, what they believe. And we're asking them to take time from, you know, busy days and busy schedules to give thought to these things and write about it to share with their kids later in life. But I know that the connection that a parent has with their kid, like you mentioned, is one of the strongest parts of like the universal human experience. I think that if we focus on strengthening that relationship and focus on creating, you know, some sort of way uh, for parents to share kind of their love, um, their values with their kids and give their kids a sense of belonging, maybe the sense that you know, I didn't have as a kid, that'll help kids grow up with a sense of family and belonging and a, you know, a sense of identity and self things that they don't get from social media. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a long-winded answer to your question. Mm -hmm. It sounds really appropriate. Here's a random fact that just popped into my head, and I may get this wrong, but I, I think it's right. Suicide is mm -hmm. the second leading cause of death for folks in their 20s and 30s. There's research coming out from Common Sense Media, Child Mind Institute. Um, Kids are spending, I think, eight times more time uh, sitting on their phones on social media than they are talking to parents. And kids that report, kids that have heavy social media usage, which is around six to eight hours per day, record 70% increases in depression, fear of missing out, social isolation, and low self-esteem. So mm. that's another reason why I wanted to work on what, why I'm working on what I'm working on is because I don't want my son to grow up uh, and be affected be affected by these platforms, right? I want to create a, you know, I want to create a place for parents like me and a lot of other parents where they can actually, you know, onboard their kid into the mm -hmm. world of social media and give them a place where they are going to get positivity and they are going to get reinforcement and they are going to understand who they are, where they came from. And I mean, my son, he sees me working on the app. He comes up to me, he's super excited. He's asking me, are you working on my gift? And, mm, and yeah, and, yeah, and that's now you're gonna make me cry, dude. I mean, <laughs> if if you needed a stronger motivating factor to do something, like that's it, you know. What's his and name? Then, um, Miron or Myron mm -hmm. in English. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, and I tell him, yeah, I'm working on your gift. Mm. So how's it going for you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the question you were afraid I was going to ask. <laughs> I was not, I'm looking, I'm not afraid. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, God, um, how to split up. How's it going for me or how's it going for the company? 
Um, probably both. Well, look, um, how's it going? We have an MVP that's out in the App Store. Um, it's been used by a couple thousand parents. I've had trouble raising money for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is I probably spent too much time talking to the wrong investors in the beginning. Um, this is my first tech startup. I've done, you know, I've ran businesses before. I had a commercial real estate brokerage company. I worked in investment banking. But as a tech founder, this is my first company. So probably spent, you know, too much time talking to VCs that want to see a lot more traction, a lot more revenue. Second is, for some reason, and this is one of the questions that maybe I do have, uh, couldn't find a co-founder just yet. And it's been tough to uh, raise the funds that I was looking for. Maybe I'm, you know, I haven't talked to the right investors and um, found the right advisors just yet. That being said, the people that do use the app love it. It's beautiful. We have great reviews. I've gotten a lot of good feedback from our users to understand what they want to see added, what they're willing to pay for, because that's, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, that's the most important thing that most investors want to see and have an answer to is how you can make money off of this, which is absolutely fine. And I'm confident that building the product that we're building, like we will be able to make money. That being said, I've been working on it for the last two years and, you know, hearing a lot of no's and, you know, it's, it's, if you ask me how I'm doing, my answer would be something from your book where it's like a sea of contradictions where I'm both uh, hopeful and terrified, um, optimistic and doubtful every single day. Uh, but I got to put on the game face. And, you know, I walked into six schools yesterday in Palo Alto, two Montessori as a JCC and, you know, telling people about what we're doing, doing the work from the ground up and you know, I'm not afraid of the no's. I'm not afraid of the rejections because I genuinely believe in what we're doing. And it's just a, you know, like it's just a numbers game, you know, because I have a sales background. So yeah, I used to do cold calling and all that. You know, I used to be a waiter and a bartender. So I have no problem being in front of somebody and kind of putting myself out there. So, but yeah. Yeah. So if I was to ask my famous question, no, really, how are you? trying to keep it together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think I'm doing a good job, you know, so, mm -hmm. cause I, there's more positivity. Uh, there's more love and there's more belief than there is doubt and terror. Uh, yeah. But you know, I'm away from my son. I've seen my kid probably like two, three weeks since the end of October. So obviously I miss him. But again, like, you know, when it does come over me and I'm upset or, you know, I want to break down or I like have doubts, I just, I don't know. The other side of me is like, just keep going, you know? So, so let's roll back a little bit. Cause you just said something really meaningful and powerful. You've only seen your son two or three weeks since October and it's now middle of January. What's that about? So, in the beginning of 2010, I moved to Moscow. I moved to Russia. Uh, the reason I moved is because I was originally born there and we immigrated to New York uh, in 1987 when I was four. After finishing grad school, working in New York, working in Washington, D.C., I decided to move to Russia. And while I was there, you know, a couple of different businesses, started dating somebody. We had a kid and got married. So he's there with his mom and I'm out here working, you know, because this is the place where I need to be raising money and building the team and launching this thing. 
So yeah, the priority has been the project and he's actually, I mean, he's almost five, he's turning five in a month and he's, I mean, he says some things that just blow my mind sometimes. Like he's so smart um, and I'm always honest with him and I'm always direct looking him in the eyes and I'm telling him exactly why I'm here. This is why I'm not around. And what I do, another reason why I use the app is I record videos of myself saying, hey buddy, you know, I know I'm not around, but this is what I'm doing. This is where I am. Just want you to know that I'm thinking about, you know, I'm working on our gift, you know? Mm. But um, here's another question. Like, here's a thing that I was thinking about. It's like, I'm creating an app <laughs> to share life experience with the kid when I could be next to the kid, right? And then Sharing the life experience right there. Yeah. So, so yeah, the irony isn't lost on me. Yeah. So yeah. what do you think's going on there? What's that about? It's an interesting setup you've got going. Mm -hmm. Well, here's what it is. I'm doing this and I'm away from him because I honestly believe that this is something that can be huge. I think this is something, if we do it right, that can be used by every single parent on the planet that has a phone or a kid. Call me crazy. Call me super ambitious. Call me delusional. Maybe I am. I don't know. I, I just... Like, I want to be able to test it on a massive scale and really see if there's something there. And I think that there's something there. Um, I don't think you're crazy. I don't think you're delusional. I think you're, um, you may be uh, operating according to the confines of some old subroutines. Remember that term? Yeah. So subroutine is the term I use to describe the belief systems that set in as children. And so as you're describing this, I got an intuitive question rose up, which was, tell me about your parents. Tell me about mom and dad. Hmm. So my, my parents, my father is a uh, pianist. Um, he was like very, very well known. One of the best pianists that was coming out of Russia. Um, they were married. They had one kid. We immigrated to the United States in 1987. Super successful. The first concert that he played was for Ronald Reagan in the White House. It was a pretty big story that we made it out of Russia during the Soviet Union. Um, uh, yeah. Were they Jewish? Yep. 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 So it was part of Glasnost. It was part of the opening. It was part of yep. uh, allowing people to emigrate. Right in the beginning, yeah. He actually applied for an exit visa in 1979, and they wouldn't let him leave for eight years. Um, and it was, you know, it was a big deal. And So dad's probably one of the smartest people, one of the most, you know, well-read people that I've ever met. But they separated. I wanted to live with my dad. How old were you when they separated? Well, the divorce took, I think, like four years. So I think it was somewhere between seven and 11. Mm. Um, and he wrote about taking bus rides and train rides. Like I used to take a bus up to New Paltz in upstate New York, like every single weekend uh, as a kid. And Is that where dad was? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would spend the weekends and the summers with him. You know, I had a closer relationship at that time uh, with my dad than I did with my mom. Um, and I wanted to live with him, but didn't work because he's always traveling. He's always playing concerts. But I think, you know, whether it's true or not, but I think I did or do have, did have uh, some sort of feeling that, you know, you're unwanted or, you know, it's not a priority and things like that. And I grew up basically, you know, feeling like you also mentioned in your book, like just completely alone, you know, because I didn't have brothers and sisters. I didn't have too many friends and I didn't have 
you know, I know my parents love me, right? I don't have any doubt about that. Um, but they just weren't too engaged. Like I never had a conversation with a parent that genuinely like, sat down and said, like, what are you interested in? What do you want to do? So, you know, uh, childhood <laughs> growing up in New York because of that was, um, you know, a very uh, colorful mix of things that most kids should not be doing when they're 13, 14, 15 years old. Where's mom? So mom is in Washington Heights um, and dad is still in New Paltz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And having a kid actually made me really reevaluate uh, the relationship that I had with my parents because when you become a parent, like, I mean, you probably notice a lot more things, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I started having conversations like, oh, why'd you guys do this? Or how come this was happening? Because you never really think about that until you say, oh, I have a kid. Like, would I do the same thing? Would I do something different? Um, so, yeah. And what did you come to? What did you come to conclude, especially was- around this ironic situation that you're in? Hmm. Um, well, that nothing was done on purpose. Nothing was done personally, like against or for me. Um, it wasn't because they didn't want you. Well, I don't, I don't think that they, I don't, I'm not sure if I believe anymore that they like didn't want me. Um, but mm-hmm. I believe that I felt that and, you know, luckily, mm-hmm. hopefully that's, you know, I talked to them and realized that that was just my, you know, because there's plenty of, look, we always remember the negative situations. We don't remember the hundred situations where you got a hug, where you got a Christmas present, where everything was all good. You were sitting at the table and everyone was smiling. You remember the one time when you were left alone or you felt, you know, for some reason, those memories stick out, right? Those are the ghosts of the stories that we tell ourselves, right? But if you realize that that's just one experience in your experience or remembering of that experience, then it's much easier to say, well, that's not the case. Hopefully, mm-hmm. right? Ideally. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, you know, I'm doing the work. I've done the work. I've always been introspective. I've always been interested in, you know, this sort of stuff. So I can, you know, I can feel that. <laughs> yeah. So the relationship with them is good. It's better. You know, the relationship with my mom now is great. Uh, when I was younger, it was bad. Um, but, you know, we're all humans, you know, nobody's, nobody's perfect. So, yeah. So I'm just going to make an observation. It's not really an answer because you're not really asking a question. So we'll just hold on to that for a moment and just make the observation that, that we thought about the irony of the situation, right? Here you are trying to create this mechanism, this container for parents and grandparents to share life experiences with, with folks when they're young so that when they're older, they get to have those experiences. So there's a, there's a wish in here for having those experiences. And yet there's this sort of corollary track that you had as a child that you've replicated, which is that dad for work is away. Yes. For very important work. Yes. But my plan is to have my son move and live with me in about two years when he becomes seven or eight years old. That's the plan. Right. I'm going to move right. here. He's going to live with me in California. You know, right. Maybe right. even, yeah. But yeah. for now, yes. But, but, but for your amygdala, the old part of your brain, 
which may be re-experiencing the feelings that you had as a kid. It kind of operates time, out of time. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of re-experiencing, not so much with you as the child, but you now as the father. There's a wonderful line from the poem I often quote called Minute 40. And the line that just comes to mind right now, and it's about men turning midlife, but the line that comes to mind is they are more fathers than sons themselves now. They are more fathers than sons themselves now. The kids. The men at 40. Uh And here you are. Still playing both kind of. Kind of being in both roles. And, and um, I just bring your attention to the fact that, um, and I'm not doing this to, with, with a judgment. I ju- uh, what I note is there was, a, the, when I asked you before about how are you, the word that came into my mind, and it could have been a projection on my part, but the word that came into my mind was, this man's exhausted. Yeah, now you're not. For a while already, of course. Yeah. I mean, I've, if you say burnt out, like I've been living burnt out for the last year, like it's already my state. Right. But, you know, yeah. Right. And there's some external stuff that's going on that's contributing to the exhaustion. I think in one of the email exchanges you wrote about living on two continents, mm-hmm. which really tells me you're living in airlines, you're living in the in between zone where one part of your heart is one place and another part of your heart is in another place. One part of your heart is in Washington Heights and another part of your heart is in New Paltz. And I'm struck by the replication. Like a lot of entrepreneurs, you're exhausted by the fundraising. And like a lot of entrepreneurs, you're exhausted by the rejection. And like a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs, you're, you're dealing with all this. But like a lot of entrepreneurs, you also have this pathologically optimistic streak. And it keeps popping up every few minutes. But I believe, but I believe, but I believe. And that experience alone is hard. It can be fulfilling, but it's hard. And then you layer on top of that this, this interesting subtext. I'm not even sure it's a subroutine that's replaying itself as much as it's a, a re-experience of the childhood. Only you get to play all these different roles. You're not just the child, you're the parent. Mm-hmm. That would exhaust me. Well, what I mean, what are you going to do? You got to yeah, keep. There yeah, there is. You know, yeah, you got to keep that, going. That's the New Yorker. That's well, the New Yorker. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, like, you know, I'm not going to. I don't want to. I don't like. I'm not going to stop. I want to give it the full shot before saying it's not going to work, and I think it's going to work. You know, it might pivot. It might change. We might obviously, you know the packaging, what we call it, whether it's a time capsule or a journal or a platform, whatever you want to call it, we can call it whatever we want, but the driving force behind it, which is 
a way to pass down values, life experience. And then, I mean, this is what parents should be doing, right? It's our responsibility to teach kids about good and evil, love, success, right? Who taught you those things? (sighs) Yeah, right there, buddy boy. Mm. Look, I can't look, I got to give my parents some credit. I can't say they were completely absent. I mean, you know, I've, I've had conversations with my dad and with my mom and, you know, I don't want to make it out like I was completely alone because I wasn't, but you know, 80% of my education was life, books, movies, mental. You raised yourself. Yes. I mean, I've lived, I stopped living with my parents when I was 15. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. So, and here's another, well, this is actually a question that I was thinking about asking you is, have I become too, because I haven't been able to build a team, right? And like every job, most of the jobs that I've had, whether it was like fixed income broker or real estate, I was solo. I was competing against other people, but I was solo. I was a wrestler in college and high school. So like, have I, two part question, I guess, have I become too self-reliant or am I lying to myself thinking that I'm self-reliant when in reality, I really do need a team and people to support me. All right. All right. I'm going to answer that question because I think that that gets to the heart of a question and it speaks to the co-founders and it speaks to what may be going on with the company, the obstacles that are in front of you, and quite frankly, some choices that you're going to end up having to make. And what I'm going to share now, um, my partner, Khalid Halim, Um, help me understand more than anyone else. And the basic belief system is the, the way we are wired works like this. The conditions that we survive as children become the conditions necessary for our thriving as adults. I'm going to say it again slowly because it's Mm. important. The conditions we survive as children become the conditions necessary to our thriving as adults. And that's true, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't say anything that's not true. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, okay. I'm, I'm following right. you. Yeah. Right. So if you think about that, let's presume for a moment that it is true. The conditions <laughs> include... Yeah needing to spend 80% of the time or, or provide 80% of our parenting to ourselves, The condition that you survived was, being, was feeling alone. It almost doesn't matter if, in fact, you were alone. Right? Yeah. This, this, is, this is the little bit of the conundrum that your optimism creates for you. You, you, I think it's beautiful that you have come to an understanding of the complexity of your parents' life. God bless them. I can only imagine what it was like for your father, as talented as he was, to be denied freedom, essentially because of his religion. Yep. Whether or not he was practicing. And the trauma that that experienced, because guess what? He grew up with parents who had to live with that environment as well. And we haven't even touched upon mom, but I'm sure mom has a similar kind of experience because the post-World War II Soviet Union was not the friendliest place in the world. So all of that is true and operating. And we want to give them a large space 
to be themselves. Nevertheless, what was true for you was that your child brain said, I am alone. Mm -hmm. Yep. It also said, I really want a connection with my father. I want a connection with my mother, but I'd like to live with my father, who is a really important man, who's out in the world. And perhaps, Danny, perhaps occasionally you say you 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 stayed home in the, the, the house with your mother and you said to yourself, is he even thinking of me? And so one of the things you're doing through the app for your son is telling him, I'm thinking of you. Yeah. Right? So all of those conditions are starting to be replicated, including, and here what, here's what I find really fascinating, your inability to find a partner. Mm-hmm. Because something is going on there that ensures that Danny is alone. Ah, uh, okay. I see what you're getting at. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. Danny, the, uh, I'm, we're, 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 we're communicating via, via Zoom and we're, we're looking at each other video, right? What is this apartment that you're in? What is this place that you're in? So this is a, um, I guess, a partner of my roommate's house in San Mateo. So it's not your home. I don't even know where I have a home. I don't even know where I have a home. Um, yeah. How did you get from Manhattan to New Paltz? Via bus. That bus. I hated that bus. <laughs> you hated that bus. I hated that bus. bus. That <laughs> fucking bus. The smell of Port Authority. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right. Right. Is your son in Moscow? Yeah, so he's in Moscow. Um, and I moved. How long does it take to fly there from LA where I've been living for the last three months, straight flight 12 with, I mean, 17, 18 hours a day. Right. But I love flying there cause I go to see him. Of course you love flying there. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, you, you read the book and you resonated and you and I have very similar stories going on here. Okay. And um, you're helping me realize something about myself, which is that I love airports. Hmm. They're gruesome. They're horrible. And yet they have the potential for movement. And there is a piece of me that needs to be in motion all the time. I know the feeling of hating the Port Authority smell. <laughs> Those of us who grew up in New York know the Port Authority bus terminal. My God, is there, <laughs> it's like, it's the sixth circle of Dante's hell. It's not the seventh, there's worse places, but not many. And what I find really fascinating, Danny, is not only you replicating the wish that you had as a child for the connection to the parent, which I think you're conscious of, not only are you creating the conditions for connection to your son, but there are attributes here that you may be replicating because those are the conditions that you survived as a child. How do I know you survived? You're here. You're alive. That's survival. Mm-hmm. 
but there's a replication of those such that this is your life now. I don't even know what home is anymore. Yeah, I mean, I had an apartment in Moscow that I was renting for nine years, and I got rid of it right before New Year's, before I flew to L.A. I'm going to take a stab here. Was the bus Greyhound Trailways or Peter Pan? Trailways. 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 And, and, it was, and it was the gate that was downstairs, like in the basement. In the hell oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see the replication going on, dude? Yes. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. Of course. Of course. But, you know, I... I understand the but. Yeah. I'm really enjoying you. <laughs> I get the butt, the butt, the, the follow on to the butt is, but what are you going to do? But what are you going to do? Well, I mean, like I'm, divorced, you know, I mean, we're not together with, yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, we can I get think it. about all the circumstances and everything like that. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make a difference because in reality that it is what it is. Right. But he, it is what it is. That is such a profound saying. It <laughs> is what it is. But here's the thing, Danny. It is what you're conscious of. Hmm. And yes, you have some choices you have to make. And I do not want to set off the self-critical, guilty choices that you are worried about. I don't think you're doing something wrong. But by creating more awareness about what's actually operating, right? You have a belief system right now. I'm go out on a limb. Tell me if I'm wrong. The belief mm. system goes kind of like this. Either I do this in exactly this way or I shut it down. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. What's the other option? Ah, <laughs> nicely done, sir. Nicely done. See, part of what I think may be going on is by us looking into the darker places, the more difficult places, which are hard to look at, because part of what may be going on for you right now is to re-experiencing the hell realm of the lower level of the Port Authority station <laughs> as you're waiting for the goddamn Trailways bus again. In re-experiencing that, we get to move to this other question, which is probably the most important question you have. Is there something else that I can do? Can I see my son more frequently and launch this business. Because I think the false premise that you are carrying because of the childhood, because of the replication, the false premise is that you have to choose. Ooh. Can I jump in? Please. Um, I don't, to be honest, I don't, I feel like I can do both. I want to do both. Maybe on a subconscious level, you are right. And I'm not, well, maybe, maybe how often different. are you seeing your son? Well, that's because I'm literally like 
here fundraising, trying to build a team and get, get, get this thing up and running. But once I do, and once we are moving, then obviously, you know, I'm planning on bringing him here and, you know, spending nice. time with him here and seeing him. I'm not just going to know. I'm not planning on sitting here nonstop 24 seven. Like I'm going to be four, five, or six, 10 years. Well, I want to, you know, this is what I've been doing since February is I've been basically here for two months. And then I go back there for two or three weeks here for two months, go back there for two, three weeks. And then I take him for like a month, once in the winter, once in the summer. That's, you know, that's a pretty good schedule for the next two or three years. He's five years old. Yeah. By the time he turns seven or eight, he's going to be less, you know, kids at that age, especially boys are very dependent on their moms. And, you know, he's, I think, okay with me not being around, but I think by the time he turns seven and eight, his mom has no problem with me bringing him here to the States. Cause I mean, sunny California school system, air, ocean. So, I mean, I have, you know, I have it all plotted out ideally. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. you know, and if it, if, and if you asked me, I mean, well, that's a good question is, you know, if I'd have to choose, mm-hmm. that would be a difficult choice, but I think, and I want to do both. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think I can do both. I think it's doable because there's nothing not, there's nothing not doable, you know, I, but again, that's, you know, maybe me just being super optimistic and delusional, but I don't think so. But I'm wondering how does, are these circumstances and these conditions and the subtext that we've been talking about, do they, do they come across and do people feel that, which I think they do because you feel it, but you're, you know, not like most people, but you know, I think <laughs> it comes across, you know, does it come across to investors? Yes. And do they feel, you know, cause look, I got a lot of things going for me, but I have a lot of things. If you just go on a strict checklist of what do we look for when we look for a startup, there's a lot of places where I don't check the box. First time founder, non-technical, doesn't have a co-founder, you know, it's not generating revenue, you know, comes from a completely different background, you know, sounds like all, Snapchat. I'm kidding. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, all those, you know, that same guy took an idea, which he was inspired to make the day that he became a dad and wanted to make a video for his son, welcoming his son to the world, turned somehow, you know, could raise some money. We did raise, you know, money from friends and family and some angels, you know, did hire a good designer and did make an app that's actually in the app store and works, you know. So it's a question of what you focus on. And it's so... Yeah. Hmm. Well, what do you think the answer to your own question is? What am I missing? What's missing from the company picture, you know, us as a company or myself? Your question was, was to wonder out loud whether or not you're sending off a particular vibe or a particular message. I think, what do you think? I always, yeah. Huh. I always put the blame, even though blame might not be the right word, but I always put it on myself, right? That means, so if something's not happening, it's me. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe, what's your quote? Um, something about, well, what are you doing that's complete? How have I been complicit in creating the conditions I say I don't want? No, there was another one. Um, <laughs> it's something that's like, when you do too much introspection, like there's a fine line between being introspective and then just creeping into full self doubt. Right. So mm-hmm. how much blame do I want to play place on myself? I should put a decent amount because obviously 
you know, there's something that's happening why I'm not closing these guys, but is it really me or is it because a, they're not interested in the space? I mean, you know, that's a question. It's like, where do you really, what is it? You know, remember the story of my grandfather in the book, Dominic Guido, the Iceman and his lemon drops. Yes. I remember the lemon drops, but yeah, remind me. So the connection to the story is that, that one of the places that I felt an enormous amount of safety was my grandparents' house. Same. My grandparents always had lemon drops. And the reason was that my grandfather, who was a self-made entrepreneur, always managed to have more money at the end of the at day. At the end of the day than he did at the beginning. Right. Yep. Right. So what if there was a way to build this company such that you were generating revenue from day one. That's one of the guests who's been on this podcast is a guy named Amir and Amir helped build a company called, um, uh, doist and their product is to doist. And I'll probably have some of the facts incorrect here, but I believe he built doist with no venture capital, completely remote, he is, uh, if I remember correctly, he, he and his family were refugees from the Bosnian War. They grew up in Denmark, and I believe he spends most of his time living in Santiago, Chile. And he built an app that is useful and produces revenue from day one. And that enables him to live in a kind of stateless fashion where sometimes he and his wife and his son go back, go to Denmark, and sometimes they stay in Chile. And this is the point. There's a whole set of belief systems that you have that's implicit in it is what it is. Is it? What if it was something else? What if it was a revenue-producing business from day one, even if it's a dollar a day? That's more than you had yesterday. Yeah. And what if you weren't focused on building a unicorn, but focused on building a business that enabled you to see your son whenever you'd like? You're absolutely right. Okay. Now, what I'm suggesting is really hard. It's not the easy path but it is a path. And what I think may have been going on and may be going on here is that the old structures that you survived are getting in the way of you seeing the possibilities that are actually in front of you. Yes. And lack of, you know, a team to give me that perspective as well, you know, because I'm in my own head. Well, advisors, uh, team, I, I thought you were going to say, I th- this is the way I thought you were going to finish the, finish the sentence. And a lack of a good friend who'd smack you in the side of the head and say, what are you doing? <laughs> yes, same thing. <laughs> same thing, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've taken way too long to make this thing paid. And I've been, you know, I think like many founders, thinking that the product's not ready, the product's not ready, we just have to do this, we just have to do this. When I mean, I've had parents say, listen, we're ready, you know, we can pay for it now, like, what are you waiting for? Excuse me? I'm just like, it's not ready. Uh, Hold on, hold (laughs) on. 
Yeah. Let me reflect back what you just said. So yeah, we've had customers who are ready to pay me and I'm not taking that money. Because I'm just, yeah, it's yeah, my husband. How have I been complicit in creating the conditions I say I don't want? Yeah. Okay. Now, what I often say, Danny, and, I, and I'm watching your face here because I can see the self-criticism coming in. We do not ask such questions in order to induce self-criticism. We ask those questions so that we can see clearly. Yeah, and to get through it, yeah. That's right. And what's going on for you is what are the blocks here? What are the blocks? I got to be honest. I think you're so wrapped around the axle in the parent-son-son-parent relationship and trying to meet those needs and, and perhaps even redoing childhood in some way that you're missing what's in front of you right now which is go build a company, go build a product which people want to pay for. Wait, you did that. But Jerry, I may not pay all the bills. That's okay. You start somewhere. I mean, within a month, I already talked to my uh, dev guys, you know, got them on equity already, which I should have done a long time ago again. You know, there and you yeah, with, within a month, we're going to be releasing a paid version of the app. And what, you know, the reason why I mentioned that I went to six schools yesterday is because without a marketing budget, that's the only way that I can go around and get people to find out about it. Parent teacher associations, flyers. You know, that's so, the way my grandfather built his business. Yeah. Knocking on doors saying, Literally, I'm selling ice. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. And people are pleasantly surprised when they see. You know, when I come in and say, hey, I'm a founder of this company, like I'm literally walking into all the schools right. in the neighborhood. They're like, well, people actually right. do that, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Now, look, I'm not saying, I don't know if this is the answer to the business's challenges. But what I would say is that there, what I'm experiencing is that there's a kind of limitation of view here that may be going along with the exhaustion and the fact that you're sort of trapped in a loop of self-talk. And I think that part of the gift that you've given yourself, not just by reading the book, but by actually writing in and saying, hey, something's up here for me, is the, is the opportunity to cut through the self-talk. Right? That's the point of radical self-inquiry. That's the point of asking those, ourselves those questions so that we are free of those structures not so that we can then ruminate on those structures for the rest of our life. Yeah. I just wish I knew what else, and we've touched on it, you know, and, but I don't know if that's the only, I don't know if what we mentioned, uh, you know, being stuck in that mm -hmm. son or father cycle. Yeah. I, I'm hoping that's the only <laughs> thing that's kind of, that's the only ghost. So that's the only story or block. Well, you, it would be unusual. It would be unusual if that were the only structure. Yeah. Okay. This is the gift of being human is that we have multiple complexes running simultaneously. The important thing, Danny, is to understand and develop the capacity to cut through and see them more clearly for yourself. That's really what, I think you're being called to do at this point. I don't know if 
generation transfer is going to succeed. I don't. Whatever success means, I don't know. But I do know that there is an opportunity in this business, which you yourself felt when you read Tracy's story. There's an opportunity in this experience to really confront some of those issues inside of you. Yes, there's an opportunity in the market, Hmm. but there's an opportunity here as well. Hmm. And the difference between you as a father and your father as a father is that you, by having had him as a father, have the opportunity to do things slightly differently. And you're already motivated to do that. You're doing that. How much further can you do? What does your son, what would you like your son to pass along when he's speaking into generation transfer to his son? What would you like him to say? That's your organizing question. Hmm. Because that's the experience I would like you to give him now. My father was away, but I never felt alone. Hmm. Yeah, I just got you. Yeah. I think I gave him that. Well, that's what I'm, that's my goal. That's my goal. Right. You probably do give him that feeling, but that's the wish that you have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that all of a sudden becomes not only an organizing principle for you, perhaps as a life mission as a parent, but an organizing principle even around the company. What is the purpose of the, of the, of the company? Our purpose? Well, it may be embedded in this. So that children don't, even if they are physically alone, they don't feel disconnected from their parents. In my mind, it's love, life experience, um, you know, and the benefit is you give kids like a sense of belonging, family, self. But, you know, is that important? Uh, I hope so. Is this the right platform to do it? We'll see. We don't know. We don't yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. the aspirations are right. It may manifest in this, in generation transfer, it may manifest in the next iteration of generation transfer. Yeah. But we'll see. Well, we need yeah. to start to wrap, Danny. Um, but I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing a very real and visceral experience as an entrepreneur. Um, I know from having done dozens and dozens of these shows and conversations that this is a help to other entrepreneurs out there and as you know the struggle of feeling alone is kind of universal and uh, one of the benefits of these kinds of conversations is it makes people feel a little bit less alone hopefully (laughs) yeah 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 thank you thank you for coming on the show i appreciate your your doing so thanks sir i appreciate it If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcasts to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations and leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. 
Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Jerry Colonna. Thanks for listening to the Reboot Podcast. Check out my book, Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. I hope it really moves you.